0: Right, good morning from my side. Uh, Today I'm going to uh, tell a Bible story. It's the story of David and Goliath. You all know it very well. You know who the winner is in this particular bout. Um, But I hope because you know the story so well that you're not going to check out. Okay, because it's easy to do that when uh, we think we're very familiar with the story. So let's, let's read together from 1 Samuel chapter 18. So we're going to read the first of the story, and then we're going to stop, and then I'm going to speak a little bit, and then there are going to be eight points, and then we're done. So we'll cover the whole story eventually. Here we go. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socor in Judah. Verse 2, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistine. It's a little bit like World War I with very um, neat battle lines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. Probably six foot and nine inches, although this is disputed. There's the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's a Masoretic text, and there's a little bit of difference in the, the heights that are given. So some people would say, no, Goliath was actually close to, to three meters tall, but I'm going to go with a six foot nine. I think it's a more reliable uh, Text, manuscript. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore scale armor. His legs were covered with bronze. He had a bronze javelin slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. So, this is a huge guy with massive amounts of heavy weaponry. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come up and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. It's around about a thousand B.C., that's how you remember when David lived. It's a nice round number, easy to remember, 1000 BC. And the action is going down in the valley of Elah. There you can see it in the middle of the slide. The Philistines, they lived in about five villages at that time. And you can see today on the map, we have, we have Gaza there. And so war was nothing new between these nations. All the way through the book of Judges, these tribes had been fighting each other over borders, resources, and grazing and living space. The Bible even tells us that there was a season for war. It talks about David at the time when kings went out to war. That's because even soldiers like to do their business in good weather. So so there was like a season for war. You go out and you tell everybody, this is where I live. These are my sheep. Leave us alone. Don't take my stuff. Of course, they could have just built a wall. Uh, But but they lined up and now they're going to have a massive fight and see who's going to be whose servants. You know, sometimes we disobey God to our peril. Well, let me change that. We always do our peril if we disobey God. God told them, kill all these Canaanites. Kill all these Philistines. But the Israelites thought they knew better than God. They didn't think that was such a good idea. But it would be unfair to kill all these people. They don't really deserve it. Sure, they're bad, but they're not that bad. We'll let them live. And so centuries on, we could say thousands of years on, there were nations fighting with Israel. If they'd just obeyed God when they went into the promised land, they wouldn't have lived with their problems for centuries. But we read God was using the situation. Judges read. The Lord left those peoples there to test the Israelites and to train them up in warfare. Sometimes God allows difficulties in our lives because He's making us strong. He's training us up. So we've got the two, the two parties uh, lined up. The Philistines occupy one hill and the Israelites the other. This is because they each want to maintain the higher ground. And because of the horror of war, the Philistines, to their credit, have come up with this plan. Well, only one person needs to die and we'll resolve the war that way. Sudden death, golden goal, winner-takes-all approach. Um, and of course, the Philistines like the idea of uh, the one-on-one battle because they've got the super-duper warrior. And so Goliath comes out day after day, for 40 days, and he's mocking God's people. And we read that the Israelites were, were, were absolutely dismayed, and they're intimidated and, and they're fearful. It reminds me of kind of these title bouts when the, the boxers get together and they, they, they shout at each other. Have you seen that on Supersport? I mean, it's part of the, the action and builds up a bit of enthusiasm and marketing, have these guys saying what they're going to do to each other. So David wasn't doing that, but Goliath certainly was. Day after day, coming out, mocking mocking Israel's God, mocking the scaredy cats and all the rest of it. Let's meet our, our hero. The story goes on. David was was the youngster. Verse 13, uh, Jesse's three oldest sons, that's David's older brothers, they'd gone to the war. Verse 14, David was the youngest. So he stayed at home to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. David is the youngest. He's not old enough to go to war, he is a shepherd. He is the messenger boy. He's a musician. He's arty. He is sensitive. And he's a humble man. Later on when he kills Goliath, and Goliath wants to reward him with his daughter in marriage. David says, who am I to marry the king to become the king's son-in-law? I'm just a poor man and little known. Maybe some of you feel like that. You're, you're, you're just from kind of nowhere. That's how David felt. That's the person that God uses. I'm only a poor man and little known. This is who David is. He is not a foot taller than everybody. You know that Saul was a foot taller than everybody. Saul should have been the guy to go out and and take on Goliath. David's not even in, doesn't have experience. But you know what David does have? He has a relationship with God. He's been filled with the spirit. He has a conviction that God is with him. And so when the Israelites are taunted by this guy, Goliath, when the Israelites are being threatened, they're all scared and dismayed and helpless and passive. But David, even though he's a nobody, even though he's a youngster, because of his relationship with God, he's confident. And David, unlike Saul, is willing to take this man on. This goes on for 40 days. Let's pick up the story in verse 20. So, David is now being sent by Dad to go and take supplies to his brothers and a bribe for the commander. Oh, sorry, did I misread that? Oh, just a gift. Uh, just a gift for the guy in charge uh, of some cheese or something. Um, and to, to see how everybody's doing. So. We read in verse 22 that when David gets there to to give the gifts, to bring supplies, to see how everyone's doing, he runs to the battle line. Why does he do this? Because he's never seen war before. And if you've never seen war before, it's quite exciting. Once you have seen it, you run the other way. But David's all super keen. Hey, how's the war going? Where's this bad guy I've heard so much about? And as he's asking everybody what's happening, Goliath starts his his speech. And the Israelites who don't have a good relationship with God, who aren't living under God's blessing, who don't have a leader who's full of the Spirit, they're fearful, they're dismayed. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. And he will give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes. Wow. David thinks this is too good to be true. This is like a reward here as well. What w- so he double checks with the people. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? And look how David terms it, how he's thinking. It reveals his framework, what's going on in here. He says, what will be done for the person who removes this disgrace from Israel? David's a spiritual guy. He knows that what's happening here is a disgrace to Israel. Shame on them for being so weak and pathetic. Not able to stand up to this person who's reviling their God. What will be done for the person who takes away the disgrace upon Israel? And then he says, and you might wonder why he's talking about the Philistines' anatomy. I'll explain that in a moment. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Why is he calling him uncircumcised? What's that got to do with anything, you may ask? Is this some kind of new swear word for the Israelites? No, he's just pointing out, who is this guy who's not in a covenant relationship with God, like we all are? Who is this uncircumcised guy who's got nothing on with God? Why is this guy threatening us as God's people? That's David's way of thinking. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And they tell him again what will be done for the man who kills Goliath. You see, Goliath's actually also mocking God. And David doesn't like it. It doesn't sit well with him. And uh, there's a little chat with David and his brother who's not really that happy that he's shown up. And uh, David says, you know what? Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. Again, he's thinking in, in human terms. Saul is. And David now tells him, look, when I was looking after sheep and a lion came at me, I would sort that lion out. When a bear came, I'd, I'd just kill it. And what God has enabled me to do to lions and bears, I'm going to do to this Philistine. And why am I going to do it? Because he has defied the armies." Of the living God. David's thinking is nobody can say that stuff about God and God's people and get away with it. We're going to, I'm going to take this man in hand. And Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. He's not a very religious man, Saul, but he can still turn it on when he has to be. Like, oh, God bless you, David. Oh, John. Go, the Lord be with you. Not, hey, and the Lord's going to be with me and I can do this because I'm bigger than everybody else. And David says to the Philistine, now the confrontation begins. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head. And then David adds this, and it's so important. Then the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Because people had forgotten that. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. It's not about being clever and having money and the best weaponry and coming from the best household. That's not how God works. It's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. You know that proverb that says the Lord does not delight in the legs of a man. It's the same idea. It's so that we will know that the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. I want to share eight points with us now about how our lives can count for God in 2019. I hope you also want to be used by God to further God's purposes, to encourage and strengthen God's people, and to get stuff done for God. I hope that's why you're at church today. We want this to be a year that counts for God. And my first point that comes out of the sermon is if you want your life to count for God, you have to know who you are in God. If you think you're useless, if you think you're a nobody, if you think you've got nothing to offer, if you think that you're not filled with the Spirit, if you think that you're not gifted, not called, you're going to do very little for God, probably nothing. But if you go through life each day with a sense of purpose, knowing that God's called you, that you are filled with the Spirit, that you know God is with you, you'll accomplish great things for God. This is the difference between Saul and David. On the sly... Samuel has been an anointed David and said, you're going to be king. And David received the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's how he was living his life. He was a spirit-filled person. Saul was not. As a Christian, are you aware that God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ? Please don't be the kind of Christian that always thinks you need something more in your life before you can be effective for God. Because you don't. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are powerful in God. There is a calling on your life. Jesus has sent you into the world. God has prepared things for you to do. So we need to know who we are in Christ and live with that sense of destiny. It's not about an us and them mentality, but we need to go through life thinking, I'm called and God is with me. And I'm not going to let the devil and his agents stand in my way. Second point I see in this sermon, we need to be in the know if we're going to be used of God. David ran to the front line. He asks lots of questions. What's going on here? How are we doing? Let's not be the kind of Christian that's out of touch. That's not aware of what's happening in our schools. In our communities. In in our church. In South Africa. in In the global church. Are you aware of what's going on? Friends, ignorance is bliss. I grant you that, that God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants us to know about what's happening. Because if we don't know what's going on in our world, how are we going to be able to make a difference? David couldn't wait to get to the front line, to learn what was going on, and then God used him. Number three, if you're trying to do something for God, expect To be criticized by other people and learn to deal with it. Let's read how poor David was criticized. Remember, he's he's going off to see his brothers, to give them gifts, to bring them food, to give their boss an extra special treat. He goes with the best heart in the world. When Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard him speaking to the men, he burned with anger. What is this pipsqueak of a brother of mine doing here, embarrassing my family, talking to people, asking questions? Why have you come down here, David? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how... you are and how wicked your heart is. You have only come down to watch the battle. He burns with anger. Sometimes when people burn with anger, there's a demonic thing going on right there, particularly when it's for zero reason. Notice sarcasm, mocking David for doing what his father's asked him to do. Those few sheep of yours in the desert, what a pathetic job you actually have, little brother. The attacks on David's character. We need to be very careful when we think we know what's going on in people's hearts. I know how conceited you are, says the older brother. No, you don't. I know how wicked your heart is. No, you don't. I know why you've come here. You want to just watch the battle and see other people suffering. No, actually, I'm about to go and kill Goliath myself. (laughs) Friends, people are going to criticize you when you step out to try and do something for God. And it got me thinking, I wonder how many people have not done great things for God because other people criticized them just before they were going to do it. Probably many people here today, have withdrawn, have, have said, oh, okay, then I won't. And we miss out on what God's got for us and wants us to do because we're put off because somebody doesn't like it. Criticism can easily come from those closest to us. This is David's oldest brother, but Saul criticizes David as well. He says, you can't go out and fight Goliath. You're just a you just a youngster. Who do you think you are? Fourthly, we need to learn to see things from God's perspective. How do the Israelites see things? Well they're shaking in their boots. Oh, this guy's so terrible. He's gonna kill us. David, on the other hand, thinks let no one lose heart on account of this uncircumcised fellow. What's your perspective in life? Are you like David? you realize God is with you? Or do you succumb to fear and... Understand that God has been preparing you for whatever it is He wants you to do. What does David say? Oh, thank you. What does David say? How has God been preparing him for this moment? He says, you know, Saul, you might think I'm a youngster with no talents or gifts or ability or experience, but let me tell you a thing or two. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep, I went after it. I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when the lion or the bear turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Something struck me a while back when I read this passage. If you had a job and a lion came out of nowhere and attacked you, what, what might you think? You might think, gee, where's God's blessing on my life? Ooh, the devil came to attack me, or what about all these terrible things that are happening to me? It's not nice when a lion comes to kill you. But God sent many a lion to go and kill David so that he'd get very good with a sling, which is what happened, Eh? You see, God allows negative experiences in our lives to shape us and to prepare us for the great things He wants us to do for Him. Because character gets grown through trials. Even Jesus had to become complete as a person and grow in his character through what he suffered. God sends suffering into our lives to develop our character. We might not like it, but it's indisputable. We need to be true to ourselves and to how God has made us. What does Saul try to do here? He says, come on, David, I know how you can beat this guy. You need to put on all my armor. And you need to take my big heavy sword, designed for a guy who's seven foot. You're that one. And, 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 and this is how you ought to do it, Saul, uh, David. If David had gone out to face Goliath, wearing Saul's armor, doing it Saul's way, we'd be reading about Goliath as the hero in the story. David's got to exercise his ministry. David's got to do what God's asking him to do on the basis of the experience and the gifting that God's given to him. It's funny how Saul's unwilling to go and take on Goliath, but he's very happy to tell someone else how to do it. You notice that? (laughs) David's going to go old school. He chooses five smooth stones from the stream and puts them in his shepherd's pouch. That's a picture of the kind of slingshot that David might have used and was very familiar with using. Don't you just love it that David takes five stones In other words, he thinks it might take at least five shots (laughs) to take Goliath down. I mean, we all know he only needed one, right? Okay, his faith wasn't that strong. It it was good, it was sort of mustard seed stuff. Then you need five. I, on the other hand, would have packed my entire back pockets (laughs) with about 20 more and another sling in case this one broke. But then I like to be prepared. Malcolm Gladwell, the well-known author, reminds us that slings were not toys for children. If you do the ballistics on a sling, it had the stopping power of a .45 caliber handgun. I mean, this was serious weaponry. You get a lead ball that big and a a nice sling that long, you can get some nice uh, speed and whatever worked up right there we're talking about a serious weapon it was a little bit different to what uh, Saul was hoping for because Saul needed to be quite close to kill you Uh, David could operate from afar it was sort of the Israeli version of having a drone (laughs) you could stay well away out of trouble and be lethal and then we're reminded that in the heart of the battle, we need to trust the Lord. There are a couple of theories of what's going on here. The one is that Saul never believed for a moment David was going to kill Goliath. <laughs> that he just sent him out to go die and be a distraction, and they were kind of getting ready to take out the Phillies on the side. Another interesting observation is that some people said that Goliath had a medical condition that made him short-sighted. This is what Malcolm Gladwell writes about in his book, David and Goliath, and talks about in his little TED talk. Goliath, when he looks at David, he says, You're a little bit more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. Okay, so maybe his eyes aren't that bad. You can see the nice cute red cheeks. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? But Goliath, uh, David wasn't coming at him with sticks. He had his staff and his sling. So people have read into this and said Goliath had a problem with his eyesight. And other people have said, no, he's, he was suffering from acromegaly, which is a medical condition which makes people really big. Um, six out of every 100,000 people have the condition. So chances are not good there's someone in our church with that, but you never know. It's when you get a tumor on your pituitary gland and it produces too much growth hormone. You get this big jaw, big head, and you become a really big guy. How many of you remember the old James Bond movie? You do, Greg, with that scary guy in Moonraker. Jaws, okay, and then Tony Robbins, for those of you that like to listen to his motivational talks. uh, Wikipedia lists these as two well-known individuals that also have this condition. And so David was big and... uh, Saul Goliath—it's like three people to work with, here. Goliath was, was big, but but in what made him big were also some built-in weaknesses, and one of them was shortsightedness. And Saul, that, Goliath <laughs> hardly knows what's what's going on before he knows what's happening. He's dead. David says, you come against me with sword and spear. David says, but I'm really good with a sling, you know. He doesn't say that, even though he clearly was really good. He says, I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And David says, and I'm also doing this so that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, that we are God's chosen people, and that all of these scaredy-catch soldiers gathered around here, the so-called army of Israel, (laughs) will know that the Lord saves, that the battle is the Lord's. Sometimes when we do great things for God, it encourages other people in their faith, does it not? I'm sure you've observed that in your life. As we close, I have a few questions for you. That's Michelangelo's painting of David chopping off Goliath's head. And here's another painting that uh, helps set the scene for us. But as we close, let me ask you, as you go into 2019 and as you want your life to count for God, and I sincerely hope you do, let me ask you, how do you see yourself and who you are and God's calling on your life? Do you have that conviction that God is with you? With my God, I can scale a wall. That was David's attitude. Do you know that there's a calling on your life, that God has put his spirit in you, that he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing? You lack for nothing when you seek to do God's will, God's way. He's prepared you. He's equipped you. He's with you. I hope you see yourself as God's child. When you see challenges on the horizon, things that threaten you, ill health, finances, disappointment, threatening people, intimidating people, do you let that get to you? Or do you have the conviction this battle is the Lord's? And he doesn't win it through people who are clever or with big legs or big swords May I encourage you too that the hardships you're facing in your life right now, like those lions attacking poor David when he's at work, those hardships we're facing in our lives, that could be God preparing us for the work that He's calling us to do. Don't think it's the devil sometimes God is bringing these things into our lives to shape our character, build our resilience and hone our skills. And do you see things from God's perspective? When you look at your problems, do you just see a a boogeyman Or, or do you see an uncircumcised Philistine? I mean, be careful how you use that term, eh? Don't, don't say to your boss, you're just an uncircumcised fellow, stop. They're not going to go down well. No, 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 no. Okay, let's, let's pray. Lord, this is such a well-known story. We pray, Lord, that you would... Help us to learn from David, who had a heart after you, who was concerned about your reputation, who who was passionate about you, Lord, who was prepared to put his life on the line. Help us, Lord, to understand who we are in Christ, to see life the way you do, And Lord, help us not to be put off by criticism and by people who would misjudge our motives and our character. Help us, Lord, to be courageous and to walk in all the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thanks, uh, Saud. Peter, you want to come up here quickly, Rick?